I'm really, really glad that you're here today because I believe that today's message is a God-ordained um, message for uh, so many people. We've been in this series called Overwhelmed for a few weeks now, and um, it's been interesting, the feedback that we've heard and, and the way people's lives have been touched. And so today, we're going to continue that series how many of you um, have ever been snow skiing? How many of you have ever been snow skiing? L lift it up. It's, you don't have to be embarrassed. Lift it up. It's really, it's really good. You've been snow skiing. Okay, good, good, good. I I've only been snow skiing twice in my entire life. Once when I was like uh, 22, and uh, I think 22, and then once four months ago. And something happened in those years. Snow skiing hasn't changed much, but I have. <laughs> my body won't do what my brain remembers that it could do. You know what I'm saying? So we went snow skiing over Christmas break, and um, it was the last day, and it was the last few hours of the last day, and you start to get that feeling like, I don't want to miss out. How many of you know something dumb's about to happen? You know what I mean? I don't want to miss out. So, so I thought, you know, and, and some of the kids are saying, hey, uh, my boys, and so they're going, hey, you know, let's go out, let's go night skiing, you know, it'll be awesome. The lights are on, and it's like, it was like zero. Like, I'm way too southern for all that. It's like zero. So you're putting on everything you own, you know, and borrowing stuff, and you get out there, and you just got like a little ninja window open, it's all you can see out of, and you're wrapped up. And it's zero, and it's dark, and it's been snowing, and you're just trying to get in that last run or two before you got to turn your skis in. We had to turn them in at 10 o'clock. And so there's this long, winding run down this one hill. And uh, we're coming down, and, and we had made several loops through there, you know, across the last couple of days. But this was different. And the reason it was different is because it was dark, and it was windy, and it was zero. And they had turned on the snow machines. And they were blowing like a blizzard at the North Pole. I'm talking about snow cannons. They're just blowing it up. And we go through this long run, and, and there's this big hill you go, go to. And then you kind of level off a little bit, but you're still, you've got the momentum of the hill behind you. And I can see this blizzard coming. Like, I can see it coming. And I'm kind of crouched down, and I'm thinking, you know, what's going to happen? And, it's, and this blizzard is so thick, the snow, there's so many of these snow machines blowing. It's so thick, you start to lose sight. You know, your mask starts to mess up, and stuff starts to stick to it. And this little, like, 12-year-old girl that's beside me that I didn't even notice because I was so afraid. You know, I was, like, locked in, like, trying to figure out how I'm going to survive. And I'm crouched down, and I'm, and I'm just sailing into this fog bank, this whiteout. And I get in it, and all of a sudden I realize I can't see anything. And I hear her say, Daddy! Daddy! Woo! And I look over, and I can't see her, and she was right there. And I went, this is not okay. I'm cruising along at 30 miles an hour on these little bed rails, you know, with like olive oil on the bottom of them, screaming down to the bottom of the hill, and I don't even know which direction that is except gravity sucking me one direction, and I'm hoping it's the right way. 
It's so dark, I can't even see the lights that are there to illuminate. The, I can't see the light. If I could see a light, I could, you know, head to the light. You know, I could head to the light. But I can't even see the light. And I'm just whistling down this hill thinking, uh-oh, you know, I hope I'm not about to go off a cliff. I hope I'm not, like, I don't know what's, you're just cruising. It's the oddest feeling to be completely blind, sailing at 30 miles an hour into a fog bank. You don't know how long it's going to last. You don't know when you're going to pop out the other side. You don't know when you're going to be able to see again. And your ears are screaming to hear everything they can hear. Like, maybe, is that a tree? When is that coming? It's like pulling out, and it's the, most, it's the most overwhelming feeling to be cruising along blindly, surrounded by circumstances out of your control, and hoping something good will happen. Boy, to me, that's a great picture of the lifestyle that many people live today. Sailing along blindly, out of control, but hoping something good will happen. That's what it feels like to be overwhelmed. In this series, we've talked about being overwhelmed by discouragement, overwhelmed by life. Last week, we talked about overwhelmed by failure. Next week, next week, I don't want you to miss, we're going to talk about being underwhelmed by Jesus. Don't miss that one. And uh, moms, ladies, on Mother's Day, overwhelmed by family. Come on, Jesus, somebody... Somebody help me on that one. So I, I want you to be here for Mother's Day. Today, I want to talk about being overwhelmed by fear. What is fear? Fear is a thief. Fear takes and takes and takes until you're empty, and it steals some of life's greatest opportunities. Fear begins with self-preservation, right? Right? Like, I, like, I'm just going to protect myself. I'm going to survive. I'm going to get through this. But let me tell you how it always ends. Self-consumption. Because it's a thief. Fear is also a false prophet. It always tells you death and destruction and sadness and isolation. And this is going to kill you. And if you remember Sanford and Son, it's always the big one, Elizabeth. This is the big one. It's coming. Fear makes things look worse than they really are. Maybe you've heard this before. Fear is false evidence appearing real because it's a false prophet. Fear is also a bully. Fear controls you and pushes you around. You don't decide what you do. Fear tells you what to do. It makes your choices for you. According to Report Magazine, ordinary children today are more fearful than psychiatric patients were in the 1950s. Do you believe that? We live in a very fearful world in a very fearful time from terrorist attacks and the economy and disease to plain old heartbreak. Fear is the perception that things are running out. I don't know if you notice this or not, but when you experience fear, when I experience fear, it's usually in the face of some kind of limitation or per perceived limitation. In other words, what are you going to do when you run out? You got st something now, but that's not what fear's about. Fear's about what are you going to do when? 
And everybody runs out of something sometime and has to deal with limit. What are you going to do when you run out of money? I know you got money now, but do you have enough for retirement? I know you got money now, but what about your children? What about your grandchildren? What about college? Do you have enough for that and that and that? What about when you run out of answers? When you don't know what to do? Fear. What about when you run out of health? Even the wealthiest people run out of health. Nobody's immune. So what are you going to do when you face that limitation? Or what about aging? What about control? What do I do when I face circumstances I can't control? I've, I've, my limitation is I can't control what's happening to me. Fear. In Exodus 16, the Jews were just in such a spot. God sent Moses to lead the Jews out of slavery in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. And then the sea closed and swallowed up Pharaoh and their army. And a few days later, a few days later, they're walking through the desert and they can't find any water. And they come up on this body of water. But the water is bitter and toxic and it's not good to drink. And so God heals the water so they can drink it. And, and then they, uh, God leads them to a place called Elam. And at Elam, there are 12 springs of fresh water and 70 palm trees. You just want to hang a hammock up in one corner and kind of hang out there, don't you? Well, that's where they are. And then they strike out across the desert because God is leading them from slavery in Egypt to the promised land. So when they strike out across the desert, they become overwhelmed with fear because they're, they're struggling to find food. And that's where we pick the story up. In Exodus 16, 2 and 3. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. You think you've got people that have criticized you before. There's one million whiners. One million complainers. Like we get two or three, we think we're going to die. Try a million Try the city of Birmingham Metro all right in your email inbox. We hate you. You're going to kill us. Verse 3. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. If you have something to write with, let me give you some thoughts this morning about what happens when we're overwhelmed with fear. Number one, fear causes you to forget God's goodness. Fear causes you to forget God's goodness. Fear will give you a serious case of memory loss, and it certainly did to the Jews. God had sent Moses and Aaron to free them from slavery, as we said. God sent seven supernatural plagues that infested the entire nation so that it would soften the heart of the leader so they would let the Israelites go. God had led a million people through all of these obstacles with a fire by night and a cloud by day. He parted the Red Sea and collapsed it in on Pharaoh and his army and destroyed them. Never mind all of that stuff. That was then, and this is now, and now we're hungry and we're afraid. And by the way, the only thing worse than being hungry is afraid. And that's what they are. When you're overwhelmed with fear, you can't remember one good thing God's ever done. So I got a question for you. How many good things has God done for you 
that you can't even remember? What about when he touched your body? What about when you needed a job and he provided? What about when you needed wisdom and he guided you? What about the relationship you were struggling with and he brought healing and forgiveness? You're living in bondage and he sets you free from your old life. But see, here's what fear does. Fear starts to dismiss those victories one at a time and tell you how this time is different than all of those. Right? And after a little while of cozying up to fear, you can't remember anything God has ever done. And maybe you're thinking now, I just made those up. And then we forget the scriptures that teach us about God's love and faithfulness. Open your Bible to any page and you will turn to a story of God's faithfulness. Because that's what he is. Fear causes us to forget and it definitely caused them to forget. Verse 3, look at that again. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat, look at this, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we want. In other words, what we had back there is better than what we got now. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve the entire assembly to death. Number two, fear reveals what you trust. If you listen closely, just quiet your heart, quiet your mind, and listen closely to your fear. Your fear will tell you what you trust, and it will tell you what you do not trust. By now they're saying, hey, we're going to die out here. There's no promised land. God isn't even going to help us. They didn't trust Moses. They didn't trust Aaron. And they didn't trust God. Remember the one that delivered them from everything else? They they didn't trust him or any of those other things. Fundamentally, fear is a lack of trust in God. You cannot live in overwhelming, life-controlling fear and trust of God at the same time. They don't go together. They don't coexist. Fear reveals what you do not trust. But fear also reveals what you do trust. So they kind of started signing a petition and created a let's go back to Egypt campaign. You know, had logos and stuff on the buses as they go by. Social media ran a whole ad campaign. And they said, look, at least we had food And we could eat all the food we wanted. Now, can you believe this? For the first time in generations, these people that had been born and raised and raised their own children in slavery are finally free people. God has supernaturally delivered them many, many times. And now they want to go back to slavery. Why? They had learned to trust the meat and the food and the bondage. And they said, at least we could depend on it. I can't believe anyone would choose slavery over freedom except for this. I've seen it. You would be surprised at the people you say, hey, God... God wants to help you and they cower in fear and refuse to reach out. You say, hey, God will set you free, but you have to let go of that old life. And they paralyze and they freeze and they clutch to it and say, but you don't know how long I've lived with this. It might be bondage, but it's my bondage. 
It might be bad, but it's predictable. I know what's going to happen tomorrow. I step out there, and boy, that fear starts to push them back. They've lived with pornography or unforgiveness or addiction or compulsion for so long. It might be bondage, but it's my bondage. Leave me alone. Listen, let me tell you this. If you want to write this thought down, what you're afraid to give to God, you are in bondage to. Mark it down. You cannot live free from fear as long as you're in bondage to anything else. Fear reveals what you trust. Because what you're afraid to give to God is what you trust in. Verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven. How about a bread storm? Anybody ever been in a bread storm? What would you think if the clouds opened and lightning started popping and bread, just like a Panera bread roll, just cracked you in the head? Like this is, I don't know, this is the greatest day or the worst day. I don't know, but it's raining bread outside. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Number three, fear overwhelms you with all of life's responsibilities at one time. Fear tries to get you to personally take responsibility for your entire life today. And not just your life, by the way, everybody else's. What's going to happen when? What's going to happen when I get in high school? What's going to happen when I get in college? What's going to happen when my kids leave home? When this job runs out? When I get older? When my health gets weak? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And this is what fear wants you to do. Fear wants you to take one day's worth of strength and fight your entire lifetime's worth of problems. Well, I can tell you, you can't win that battle. God says, go out into the field and pick up enough bread for today. You don't have to fight tomorrow. You don't have to fight next week. You don't have to try to cure everything. You don't have to try to solve everybody's problems. You don't even have to try to solve all yours. Just Go get enough bread for today. And as long as they focused on going out and getting enough bread for that day, they were fine. But when they started to look deep into the future, what's going to happen next week? You know, I know he's done this for 20 years, but what about next year? What about five years? What about when we get out of the wilderness? What about the new land? What about, what about, what about, what about? And that's how fear dominates your mind. What's going to happen? And they begin to be overwhelmed. You and I are exactly the same way. Maybe you've heard this old statement that I think is uh, just wonderful. You take care of the days, and God will take care of the years. You take care of the days. You go out and pick up the bread. You go out and get the manna. You go out and do what you're supposed to do today, and God will make sure that years land where they're supposed to. By the way, God fed them like this for 40 years with a bread storm. <laughs> Number four, during times of scarcity, God will test your heart. Look back at the second part of verse four. In this way, he said, I will test them and see whether they will follow 
my instructions. Now, what is this, what is this test about? Is this a trick? Is God tricking them? Is he saying, do exactly as I say, put the right foot in front of the left and walk four steps this way and then do a 90 degree turn and I'm going to see if they can follow my instructions specifically. Is, is he testing them on the instructions? No, he's testing their heart. Will they obey God or not? It's not about the details, it's not about the particular, it's about will they obey God or not. Now why does that matter? Because what he's trying to reveal in their heart is, do you trust me? Because if you don't trust me here, the promised land's going to be a bust. You're not going to be ready for it. If you don't trust me in the desert, I can't trust you with the promised land. (laughs) He can't take you there. If you don't trust him in what's going on today, in the middle of your fear, expect God to test you. Now, just time out for a second. Because that is not at all what we expect to hear right here. It's not what I expect here. What I expect to hear is, in the middle of your fear, expect God to comfort you. It's going to be okay. Be all right. Be all right. Just relax. Exhale. Breathe. Meditate. Put on your waterfall music. Relax. That's what I expect. I expect God to say, chill out. This this seems, I don't know, cruel. God, leave me alone. Don't you know I'm battling fear? Don't you know I'm overwhelmed? Don't you know? But he's still working on the relationship because he knows that trusting him is the only way out of fear. So he can lift the emotion, but it doesn't cure your heart. You'll go right back to it. It won't fix anything. God's trying to teach you to trust him because it's the only way to live in true freedom, including freedom from fear. You know, sometimes God will not give the answer that you're looking for immediately because you'll trust the answer instead of him. You, 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 ever, you, ever, you ever be praying real hard about something and the answer comes and then you don't pray for a while? And the reason you don't pray for a while is because you got what you wanted. And God knows that. And so sometimes, not every time, not all the time, God will hold off on the answer because He's trying to teach you to trust Him not the information. So how do you see God? Do you see God as the one who gives all the answers? Or do you see God as the one who has all the answers? Because those are two different people. One of them is the God that we made. The other one is the God that made us. I want God to give me the answers, if I'm honest with you, because I want to be in charge. Don't you? I want to know what's going on. I want the 360 view, the 30,000 foot. God, I want to know what's going to happen in 15 years. I'm going to control. I'm responsible. I'm going to fix this thing. And by the way, this is the original sin. Satan slithers into the Garden of Eden, and he whispers into Adam and Eve's ear, eat from this tree, because if you are, you will be like God. What? Knowing 
you will have greater knowledge. And God doesn't want you to eat from the tree because then you'll be like Him. You'll know more. Ooh. That's the original sin. That's where we got in trouble from the beginning, and that's where we still get in trouble. I want God to give me all the answers because I want to be in charge. When you're overwhelmed with fear, having the answer is not the cure. Trusting God is the answer whether you have the, the answer or not. When you find contentment in the fact that God has all the answers and loves you deeply and will do what's best for you, then you'll be able to move into uncertainty with peace and without fear. Now, did you notice that God used resources to test them? Food and water. Isn't that interesting? God still uses resources to test our heart today. That's why oftentimes, uh, sometimes, regularly, but not every week, you'll hear us talk about tithing. You'll hear us talk about giving. Why do we talk about giving? Because it is a test on our trust in God. Until you trust God with your money, you don't trust God completely. Got real quiet. Jesus talked about money more than he talked about heaven and hell. Because he knew it was the key to bring us into a deep relationship with him. Your money and your spiritual life are connected. I'll show it to you uh, where Jesus says it in Matthew 6. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. God will always use money to test your heart because it is the greatest sign of total trust. And that's what God did here with the children of Israel. He used resources that they needed. And he supplied every day for 40 years and took them to the promised land as he said he would. Now this test that God gave the Jews had a purpose. The purpose was to help them see their hearts, to see if they could trust God or not. I can remember when... Uh, Stacy and I were first married, and uh, we were spending our first year of marriage together. I was finishing school. She was working in a local uh, tea shop, and um, we were getting close to school ending, and our apartment lease was coming up, and, you know, all the pressure was on to what are you going to do now that you're out of school? And we had no idea. We talked to 13 churches. 13 churches we either personally interviewed or had a serious connection with. And all 13 doors shut. And uh, the last one was uh, actually a pastor, your part of the world, Austin, in Belgium, in Brussels. A pastor called. We had a great interview. Things were moving along. We were preparing, uh, we thought, to move to Belgium. And he called back and said, you know, I, I don't think this is going to work. Um, sorry. And so that's the 13th one. And it was overwhelming and disappointing and fear just gripped my life. And I can remember walking home from school uh, after class one day and going to our little one-bedroom apartment. And there was a little chair in the living room. And I just knelt over it and I said, God, I'm falling off a cliff here. Like in a month, the lease is up and I got to renew it or I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I got a little part-time job. She's got a job. We're just barely, do we just stay here a year and float around? 
Did you call me when I was 16 years old to just take me through? What was all this for? What was all of this student loan debt and what was all this classes and what was all this about? Is it just to bring me here and just, it, just, it was just it? I'm just done? What is this? And it was, a, it was a crisis of my faith. And I remember diving in that little chair and just crying out to God and saying, um, I don't know what else to do. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to um, jump off this cliff because I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing to do. There's nothing I can do. And, uh, and if you catch me, it's going to work out. And if you don't, I'm going to hit the ground. And if I hit the ground, I'm going to have a hard time trusting you again. So here I am. Just poured my heart out. And nothing happened. <laughs> Like, I didn't get a phone call, you know, it's like seconds later, you know, 3 o'clock. Nothing, nothing incredible that I wish would have happened, happened. But, something happened in me. And I reached a new level of trust in God. And I began to move forward with greater peace and contentment. And in a little while, the answer did come. But here's what I want you to see. Trust came before the answer. And what happened is uh, that pastor that was in Belgium, good thing that didn't work out because six months later he moved back to America. And God had shut that door. I don't know what all mess we'd have been in. And God opened a door for us, but from that moment I trusted God a little bit more than I did before. You may know the rest of the story of the Israelites, 40 years Later, they make it to the promised land. But Moses doesn't go with them. And just before Moses and the people part ways, he reminds them of God's faithfulness in Deuteronomy chapter 8, 2, and 3. Listen to what he says. Forty years have passed. They're in the promised land. All the desert's over. All the lack's over. The manna's gone. Now they've got food for days and weeks. And, and here's what he says. Remember. That's a good word, isn't it? Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. To humble and what? To test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Do you trust him enough to do what he says? He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I don't know if you recognize that last phrase or not. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's the line Jesus quoted when he was in the desert being tested. If you're aiming for one of them, I would encourage you, try to be more like Jesus being tested in the wilderness than the Israelites being tested in the wilderness. I want to just show you the difference. The Israelites were fed manna for 40 years. Jesus starved for 40 days. The Israelites didn't trust God. Jesus did trust God and the spiritual food he was receiving. The Israelites trusted food and bondage of their old life. Jesus didn't trust physical food. The Israelites said, we're going to die, or, or we're going without and going to die. And Jesus said, I have what I need most. Jesus learned in 40 days what it took them 40 years to learn. I don't know if you've ever heard of Bill Bright. He's passed away and gone to heaven now. He's one of my ministry heroes. I had the opportunity to meet him and some of his team that had served with him for 50 years. 
at a breakfast a few years ago. Incredible story. 1952, he and his wife sat in their living room. He had been a successful businessman. And he said, okay, God, I'm done. And he, he did something I've never heard anybody do, and I've still never heard anybody else do it. They actually sat at their coffee table and wrote a contract with God. They said, God, this is our contract. We are not our own. We do not belong to us. We belong to you. We will go where you tell us to go. We will do what you tell us to do. We will be whoever you tell us to be, unreserved. It's a blank check. You fill it in. Whatever you want, that's what we're going to do. We surrender everything. Every decision we make will be made out of what we believe you want us to do. And someone once told Bill Bright they felt bad for him because he never knew what was going to happen next in his life. And here's what he said. He said, please, don't pity us. We've been spared so much heartache and so much stress and so much anxiety because we belong to him. Don't pity us. And by the time of his death, he led the largest Christian ministry in the world. 26,000 people on staff in 191 countries, Campus Crusade for Christ. And every day since the day that ministry started until the day Bill Bright died, do you know how they operated? 26,000 employees they had to pay. Every day by the close of business, they emptied their bank account worldwide. They had no reserves, ever. Because he said, like I said, God, it's all yours. It all belongs to you. We trust you. Wherever you lead, we'll go. Whatever you ask, we'll do. That's a life of incredible freedom. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask our prayer team if you'd come. Fortunately for us, God doesn't say, all or none, now or never. God doesn't say that. You know what God says? Go out today and pick up a little manna and bring it in. And tomorrow, we'll talk about tomorrow. But today, you bring in a little manna. Tomorrow, we'll talk about tomorrow. Every eye closed. Would you just open your heart for a minute? Because I believe this is the moment that the Holy Spirit is planned to touch, to minister, to strengthen, and to work. You're struggling to trust God with something. God has just made you uncomfortable and unsettled in this service because you know there's something you're struggling to trust God with. With every eye closed, would you just lift your hand and say, if I'm honest, and it's okay to be honest, I'm struggling to trust God. Thank you. I see it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, in the back. Thank you. I'm struggling to trust God today. It's okay. That's why we came. We came to encourage you today. Because everybody has days where they struggle to trust God. It's just today's your day. 
And that's all right. And I pray when my day comes, and my days have come, that somebody will be beside me to encourage me because I'll need it. Just lift your hand. Thank you. Struggling to trust God today. Yeah, thank you. Just lift your hand. You don't have to bring everything. Just pick up a little manna and take one little step of trust in God today. Maybe you're here and you're trusting God for something. Surely not every one of the Israelites didn't trust God, but they were still on the same 40-year journey as everybody else. And there had to be days that got long and that got tiring and that got discouraging. Maybe you're here today and you're trusting God for something, but the truth is, man, it's been a long road. And you say, would you just pray for me today? I'm trusting God for something, but man, I'm, I'm kind of tired. Would you just lift your hand? Say, pray for me today. Yep, 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 yes. Thank you, yeah. Trusting God, but man, man. And it's been long. Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with fear. Would you be brave enough? Boy, it takes, it like, it, it's like counteracts fear to even admit this. Say, man, I, I've been struggling. I've been overwhelmed. I've been struggling with fear. The enemy's been just tempting me and frustrating me with fear. And today, I just want to give it to God. I want to give my fear to God. Come on, lift your hand up and say, pray for me today. I'm giving this fear. When you lift your hand up, you say, I'm giving this fear to God. I'm giving it to God today. I'm going to walk out of here brave. I'm going to walk out of here with this resolved. I don't want to live like this anymore. Man, I've done, I've drowned in fear before. It's terrible. It's miserable. God doesn't want it for your life. One last thought. If God is calling you to leave your old life, maybe you're a believer, maybe you're not, but God's leave, calling you to leave that old life and to come into a new life. Maybe you're already a believer, but there's old parts hanging around. And God's saying, I promise you, the bondage is not better than the promised land. I promise you, the bondage is not better than the freedom. Come on, lift a hand up today and say, today I want to be free. Today I want to be free. Yeah, I want to be free today. Pray for me today. I want to be free. Come on, just lift it up. I want to be free today. I want to be free. Let freedom ring in this place. God has brought you to a place of truth and grace and healing and freedom. I want to pray for you this morning. And as I begin to pray, I want you to do this. Only those of you that lifted your hand, I just want you to open your eyes and I want you to find a prayer team member. I want you to go ahead and look at them right now. Just find them. Right here around the uh, steps, I just want you to find a prayer team member. And when I begin to pray, I want you to start to walk toward one of them. And I want you to just let them pray for you and minister God's grace in your life. And you're going to watch the Holy Spirit minister to you in this moment. You're just taking a simple step today. Open your eyes and find them. And I begin to pray. I want you to move. Lord Jesus, I thank you today. Come on and move now. Lord, I thank you today that your grace is here. I thank you today that this is a moment of truth. It's a moment of grace. It's a moment of freedom. It's a moment of life. And we declare victory over fear today. We declare victory over intimidation. We declare victory over the bondage of the old life. Lord, we declare victory in this place that, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You are not done with us yet. You've got a future and a destiny and a promised land ahead. And Lord, we declare your peace and presence in this house today. 
God, minister what you came to minister. With every eye closed, I want you to come right now. Come right now. If you lifted your hand, I want you to come right now. You walk toward freedom. You walk toward peace. You walk toward strength. You walk toward health. You walk toward hope. Just pick up a little manna today. That's all you have to do. Just pick up a little manna today. That's all you have to do. As the worship team begins to sing, if you need prayer, I want you to come now.